Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us understand what it means to abide and bear fruit. And not just that, Lord, but that you would give us a desire to do so. And with that in mind, I ask that you would help me preach and explore your word faithfully this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This week, I did a little study in the field of viticulture and enology. I didn't know what either of those words meant until I went looking to learn about something and realized it's the study of viticology, which is how to grow grapes, and enology is how to make wine. So I want to put a picture up here on the screen of a vineyard, and that's uh, a vineyard I don't know where that's from. I I just pulled it off the internet, but it's a muscadine grape, which is the one that we have in Florida here. And um, the trunk is the main stem that goes up to the top of the wire there. And then it's been cultivated in such a way that it peels off both left and right. And those are called the cordons. And then out of there, branches come and bear fruit off of that. And so there's a lot that's involved in the pruning each season, both before its time in the spring and then after in the autumn. And the reason I'm studying this and looking at it is because John chapter 15 is about vineyards. Jesus says, I'm the true vine in here, and he wants us to bear fruit in him. Now, you might not know this, but in the last seven weeks, we've had five funerals at the church. That's unusual. It means that I've heard a lot of eulogies, actually. In fact, one of them had four eulogies in it. One of them had a 40-minute long eulogy. And so it's got me thinking about my own eulogy. What would I like to hear said at the end of my life? Most of these eulogies focus on personality, what the person was like, uh, career, if he or she had a career, hobbies they had, and family legacy that's left behind. And it makes me ask the question, what is the fruit that your life is bringing forth? Is there more than just those, <clears throat> those four categories? Everyone leaves some kind of an impact where they've been. And the question in my mind, is that impact pleasing to God? But not just that, in the center of John chapter 15 is Jesus's word that he's teaching these things that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. To live a fruitful life not only will please God, but it will give you a fullness of joy from the Lord. And so it's bigger. There's more to it than just those other categories. Now today, we'll need to look at two key words from this passage. One is abide and one is fruit. Abide is in chapter 15 11 times in the ESV, and fruit is in here eight times. So these are pretty prominent words. But first, before we dig into those two words, I want to share what prompted Jesus to give this teaching. This is in John's gospel, and it's part of the upper room discourse. So he has just explained to them that he's going to die. He said, I give you a new commandment about loving. He's washed their feet. Judas has betrayed him and gone out uh, to sell him out to the religious leaders. And at the end of chapter 14, he says, rise, let us go from here. So they get up and they leave the upper room. We know that he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. So he leaves the city, goes across the Kidron Valley, and goes over into the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an olive garden and actually still has olives to this day. But that whole area over there was a farming area. It was very fertile and fruitful. 
And I believe what happened, I'm speculating here, but I think he walked past that. And being the master teacher that he is, Jesus went, he saw that, and he said, I am the true vine, and used it as a teaching opportunity to give a metaphor about vineyards. But not just because he was thinking about that vineyard, but because he was thinking about God's vineyard. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there are a number of references to Israel being the vineyard of the Lord, but it was not good. Consider this love song. I want to read a a bit of a love song to you. This is from Isaiah chapter 5, and it's written out in poetic versification. And it says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And then I'll skip down a little bit more. It says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel was God's vineyard, and it did not produce the fruit that he wanted. And as Jesus is in the midst of going into his passion, he sees this vineyard, and he says, I am the true vine. Jesus did what others could not do. He was faithful. He connected to the Father the whole time. He abided and remained connected to his Father, and he brought forth the natural fruit of that. He was faithful. He lived a faithful life, even though it was a short life on earth. And he did what Israel had failed to do. And so he said, I'm the true vine now, but if you're connected to me, then you can bear fruit. And he gives this teaching. Now, the word abide, the Greek word meno, it can mean remain or stay, And I don't want you to think of this chapter in the mystical sense that I looked at John 14 last week. John 14, we talked about the Holy Spirit, the helper, coming into the hearts of believers and transforming us from the inside out. I'm describing a mystical union where we are caught up in the divine life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in chapter 14. Chapter 15 is far more pragmatic than that. Don't think of it in in a mystical sense. It's actually quite mechanical. Verse 10 of our passage today says this. And Jesus is real clear. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's nothing mystical about that. Know what the commandments of God are and keep them. If you do that, you will be abiding in his love. And Jesus says, I've done this. Throughout his entire ministry, he was constantly in tune with his Father. He said, I I only say what I hear from the Father. Everything that he did was derived from the connection he had with his father. And he said, this is what I want your connection with me to be like. Obey my commands and you'll abide in my love. If you're my friends, you will obey what I command. He says it several times in several different ways in here. So in order to do this, we actually have to know what his commands are. And then we have to resolve to build our life on them. Now here's where the problem comes, is that we're broken. And we're torn internally. And sometimes we want to do the right thing and can't do it. And we struggle. And that's where our lives have to be transformed. 
One of the books that I like so much is called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. What I like about that is he actually gets into the mechanics of how a person can be transformed. He talks about how spiritual disciplines work in our lives. You have a lot of choice of what you can do, and your choices will help you either move closer to living by God's commandments or further from them. Think about your thought life. Think about what you choose to focus on. As I was studying this chapter this week, I was sitting in my backyard on my porch, and I was looking over at the side of my house, and I'm, I'm pulling up pictures of muscadine grapes, and I'm watching videos from uh, uh, departments in uh, universities that deal with how to manicure their vineyards, and I'm looking at the side of my yard, and the more I think about vineyards and grapes, I started thinking, you know what I need to do? I need to put up some kind of arbor and buy some of those vines, and I need to start growing grapes, and I need to start making wine. I even called Heather and said, hey, are you at Walmart? Would you buy me one of those bottles of wine that they, um, the, that they make here the, with the muscadine grapes, that Vintner's Red stuff? And then I tasted it, and I went, oh, I don't like this wine. <laughs> but the point is, by focusing my eyes and my heart and my thoughts on vineyards and vines in this text, it started to cultivate within me a certain desire to grow a vineyard, to make wine. You, that's, that's renovation of the heart stuff. You can choose to focus on the commands of the Lord and how good he is and who he is, and, and it will start to change your desires. You will be renovated. Your heart will be transformed. Now, specifically to our church, we've put in place something we call the discipleship pathway. If you want to grow, you can look at that discipleship pathway and do those things. You can almost do them mechanically. Worship in God's house on Sunday morning and build a worship culture in your own house where you start the day by praising God, where you teach your kids and your spouse and one another about prayer. You become a worshiper of God and practice worship. That's the first square in our discipleship pathway. The second one is you belong by participating in a life group. And what life groups do they look at God's word, they pray, they care for one another, and they invite others. They're outward-oriented, invite others in. We're doing 2021 groups right now. And I said to the guys that are in my 2021 group, I said, when we're done with this current Easter study, we're gonna keep going. We're just gonna go all the way through July. I said, as long as you guys keep showing up, we're gonna keep doing a 2021 group. And they were like, yeah, we're in. And I, I said to them, this isn't just to serve you. I actually need it. As a Christian, I need to be in a group that gets into God's word and that prays for one another and that is mutually encouraging. That's just part of abiding. And then the third quadrant is about service in, cho in choosing to participate in the missions of the week, to serve others, to serve in the church, to serve in the community, to serve to the ends of the globe. And then to help the last quadrant is to make disciples by helping others do those things. It's somewhat mechanical mechanistic. You start doing those things, and it has a transformative power and effect on you. Now, I need to say, as we think about vineyards and vines, that there is a vine dresser. And Jesus says this, that my father is the vine dresser, and he prunes. Pruning is very important in these vineyards. If you don't prune, they will get overgrown and not bear fruit. So there's a specific way to prune. It's kind of delicate. I I watched a video from the University of Minnesota where a woman that's a PhD there in whatever, I'm not, I don't know if she was more in the viticology or the analogy side, but she was standing in two feet of snow and boots in a vineyard, and it didn't look green. It looked like really empty. 
and it was just sticks. It looked totally dead. And she was talking about the cordons that come off of the main stem and how some of them didn't have any shoots, which she said this meant that this section of the cordon did not produce this year. Maybe there's some rot on the inside or some kind of decay. So what she did is she took one of the other longer branches and she bent it over and she had a green tie and she tied it to the wire right around the other unfruitful part of the cordon, which means this new one is gonna become part of that, the new cordon and then everything else will be trimmed away and that one will grow into the new one. And she tied it on so later when the new, new growth starts happening, she knows that's the one I've chosen. The vine dresser, the father, does this in your life. Something is not fruitful, it gets replaced by something that is fruitful. He's constantly working, pruning, and, and, we, and we don't like this because it hurts sometimes when something gets cut back or something gets bent over and tied down. But because he loves us, he does this, and he wants us to bear fruit. That, all of that is part of abiding. Now, the second word, fruit, is not just... Well, right away, we think numbers, right? We think, I want to bear much fruit. I want to bring other people to the Lord. We think evangelism. And for sure, that is a part of it, right? Go and make disciples, the Great Commission says. But it's more than that. And that doesn't seem to be in view in John 15. And, and then maybe we think the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those nine fruits. In fact, on our baptismal font, they're etched around there, engraved in the Greek words. Yes, that's a part of fruit as well, but it looks like this is more comprehensive. It looks like the whole of a person's life. So yes, it will involve evangelism. Yes, it will involve character, but it will be the summary of the life. So keep in mind that the vines produce in seasons, and then they're cut back, and then they sprout new stuff, and there's an ebb and flow to this which is why I'm asking about eulogies. What do you want your eulogy to sound like? At the end of your life, what is the summary of your life and all of those seasons? Now, specific to my text, because in this church, we want to let the text determine the message, verse 7 and verse 16b seem to talk about having an effective prayer life. Verse 7 says this. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then in verse 16, the second half of it, it says, um, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is not some kind of name it and claim it scheme. Just because you tag on in Jesus' name, amen, after your prayer does not mean you have prayed in the name of Jesus. To do this means that you're praying in alignment with his will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven by bringing the kingdom into whatever the situation you're praying for is what Jesus is talking about here. By being so connected to him, his words, his commandments, that you start to pray as he would pray if he was the one in that situation. This is a different kind of prayer. And I believe that it actually will see an increase in effectiveness. You will start to see a lot more yeses to your requests of the Lord because you'll be praying what he wants you to pray because you'll be praying in accordance with his will, in my name, as Jesus says it. Another thing about the fruit is not just an effective prayer life, but the fruit is actually character growth, those fruits of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, but, but of these other virtues, faith, hope, and love remain, and of them, love is the greatest. 
In fact, it's the first one in that Galatians 5 list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Agape is the Greek word on the font back there. The first is love, and love is in here a lot. I counted, I'm not sure I might have missed one, but I counted nine times the word love in this passage that I'm looking at today. This is a character fruit, and it's the greatest one. And I want to say right now, in our cultural moment, Christians have a huge opportunity to work on that character, the character of love, because there's a lot of not love going on right now. There are those that you disagree with. There are words that are inflammatory. Let me give you a couple. Embrace yourself. Masks. (laughs) Vaccination. Social distancing. CDC, it's not even a word, it's three letters. And immediately, blood pressure goes up and we start getting tense. And then we find somebody that has a differing opinion and we either attack them or we flee them. Fight or flight. I've gotta convince them that they're wrong and my perspective is right. Or cancel culture, I shun you, I will never talk to you again. I'm not even talking about out there in the secular world, I'm talking about in the church. Christians are doing this to one another right now. And we have a hard time sitting with a brother or sister in Christ who doesn't share our particular view on the, on the weird moment we are in in the world. And I think this is bad. I think this is really bad. I think love needs to become central. And Jesus is saying, abide in me so that you will have this love. Love is all through here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you think Jesus agreed with his disciples all the time? They were wrong quite a bit, and he loved them even though they were not in agreement when they didn't understand, when they were confused or sinful or doing the wrong stuff. He loved them, and he says, as I've loved you, love one another. That's his command. And he says at the very end of our passage, these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is about emotional health, and that's one of our core values as a church, and that's a big topic, emotional health, but I... I would say one part of it is learning how to neither do fight or flight, where I don't have to attack somebody that disagrees with me, nor do I need to flee from them. I can stay engaged in the relationship, and the reason I can do it is because I am so affirmed in the Father's love. I'm abiding in His love. I know the Father loves me, so I don't have to worry about the other things. I can stay connected in that relationship because I'm, sh- I'm secure in another relationship, my relationship with the Father. So by abiding, I will be able then to love. If I know God's love for me, I'm able to love people that I disagree with. And I think this is to his glory. And that's what he says in here, that it would glorify the Father. So we've got an effective prayer life. We've got an increase in love for others. And then A third thing would be growth throughout life. In verse eight, it says, by this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Not just a little, but much, a lifetime's worth. There's a growth component here. He wants to see much fruit in your life. Your eulogy, let's come back to that for a second and I'll close with this. What do you want to be said of you on your last, you know, your funeral service, when people get up and say, who was so-and-so? As I think about this, I want them to say, Mike abided in Jesus, and he prayed, and he loved, and he grew. He grew into Christ. He grew throughout his life. I want the same for you. 
I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a, a sermon response song about turning our eyes to the Lord, about abiding in Him. Would you join me in, in praying, and then we'll sing. Lord, these are really difficult days we're in, but you're a good Lord. And as our vine dresser, we invite pruning where need be. I pray that you would help us to love your commands and to build our lives on them and to see this fruit that you long to come forth in our lives. I pray, Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. For the sermon.